You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on His yoke. We are pressing into His promise of true life. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's indeed a pleasure and honor to be with you on this glorious Sunday morning um, to worship our God and Savior and to uplift and exalt his name. Amen. 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 Dr. Russell Moore, who's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which serves as the policy arm of the SBC, asks a very important question to author, pastor, and theologian Dr. Tim Keller. The question is as follows. He said, what would you say to a young Christian who's nervous about the future? What would you say to a young Christian who is nervous about the future? Hear Dr. Keller's answer. He said this, if Jesus was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up, if he walked out, if he was seen by hundreds of people, and talk to them. If he was raised by the dead, then everything is going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. We're not just talking about resurrected people. We're talking about a resurrected world. That's what makes Christianity unique. We're talking about a resurrected world. Christianity says that it's not just our bodies that will be resurrected, but the world is going to be a material world that is cleansed from all evil, all suffering, and all sin. And if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then the world will be resurrected. I don't know how, but it will, he says. Church family, if you've been with us for any amount of time, we've been spending the last two years in the Gospel of Matthew, and today actually concludes our series. Last week, we considered this question, what do you believe about Jesus' resurrection? Today, we'll examine a similar question, but quite different. Are you living your life as if Jesus is truly resurrected? In other words, are you living your life as if Jesus is truly your resurrected King. Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. As always, God, take my little, make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Hide me behind your cross. Let your people see and hear from you in this preaching moment. We pray that minds will be transformed. We pray that souls will be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. We praise you that your word will go forth and not come back void as it always does. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was a young and overly ambitious college student who loved to live on the edge. My major at the time was health administration, and for the first time in my courses, I took a 500 graduate level course, financial aspects of health administrations, as a sophomore without taking the prerequisite course which was accounting 201. I mean, who needs to take accounting, right? At the end of the class, 
Everyone was failing, including myself. So the professor made a deal with the entire class. He said, regardless of your current grade, whatever you get on the final exam, you'll get as your final grade. (laughs) My eyes lit up. My ambition went to work. I was stoked. This was my chance. This was my answered prayer. I studied harder than I ever studied before. I spent over 60 hours studying, and I entered the exam with much confidence that I would do um, much better than I had previously done in the class. But to my dismay, I did it. (laughs) I left the exam room confident that I had given my all, but once I received my grade, I soon realized that all my effort was not enough because my final grade was an F. F for failure. (laughs) I was devastated and disappointed. I was frustrated and furious. I was astonished. And yes, I was even ashamed. It was the first time I've ever received an F in my life. Have Have you ever failed even when you gave something your best? Do you know what that feels like? Have you ever been in a situation when your best was not good enough? Have you ever felt like a failure and you didn't know how to rebound from a significant loss? Matthew provides two important yet minute details regarding this issue of disappointment and despair. And if you don't read carefully, you may overlook it. So let's go back and look with me at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Did you see it? Did you notice it? Did you hear it? First, he mentions two things. First, he mentions that the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, not the 12 disciples, but 11 disciples. Second, listen to Matthew's honest description within this moment. When he saw them, verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Notice with me that the great commission, as we call it, and we've known to understand it, this great commission was given out of despair and great disappointment, even from Jesus himself. This is a subtle reminder of our context, that although Jesus was resurrected from the dead, his problems remained the same. See, he rose to face the disappointment of being betrayed by Judas, his disciple, the one whom he loved, the one whom he nurtured, the one whom he taught, the one whom he lived with, and even the one that obviously betrayed him. He rose to the disappointment of being betrayed by Judas, but he also rose to the despair of being deserted by most of his disciples when they needed him the most. So how will Jesus respond? (laughs) How does Jesus respond to those who have betrayed him? How does he respond to those who doubt him? who don't quite understand him, who don't really get him. How will Jesus respond? Look with me at verse 18. It's very clear. 
Jesus came near. Notice with me that Jesus meets us in our doubts. He isn't in, in, he's not intimidated by your fear. He's not intimidated by your faulting. And he's definitely not intimidated by your failure. Jesus drew near to those who betrayed him, who deserted him, and who left him in despair. I love what Psalm 56 says about this. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. So let me ask you a question. Right now, today, where you are, are you doubting the goodness of God? Are you questioning God's love for you? Are you confused about God's will for your life right here, right now? Are you wondering about the faithfulness of our God? <laughs> if you are, you're in good company. Because if you are doubting the goodness of God, and even if you're questioning the love of God, and even if you're confused about the will of God, and even if you're wondering about the faithfulness of God, verse 18 tells us that Jesus comes near to those who doubt, who don't quite get it, who don't quite understand. So, so what does this mean for you? <laughs> if Jesus draws near to those who are doubting or those who are betrayed him or, or maybe are not as faithful as they could be or should be, what does that mean for you? Beloved, listen to me carefully. It means this, that you don't have to be at your best. You don't have to act your best. You don't have to do your best. You don't even have to perform in order to be accepted. Jesus loves you and he draws near to you because of his love for you, not always your love for him. How do I know this, Pastor James? Because verse 18 says, Jesus came near. It's a good reminder for us this morning that our doubts, our doubts no matter how big and how uh, humongous they are, how 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 heavy they can seem to be. Our doubts don't subdue God's sovereignty. Our doubts don't subdue God's sovereign power, sovereign and his sovereign goodness towards us. It's a good reminder for us that the opposite of faith isn't the isn't doubting in God's sovereignty. The opposite of faith is the denial of God's sovereignty. Listen to the prophet Daniel speaking of Jesus as being the son of man in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. He says these words about Jesus even before he was born. He has given authority, he has given authority to rule and glory and a, and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So let me ask you this morning, are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? You know, this is a good reminder for us that Jesus is Lord, regardless of what we think of him. Jesus is Lord, regardless of what we believe about him. And Jesus is Lord, regardless about how we feel about him. 
It reminds us of the theme that we've been talking about in Matthew, about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control even when you think you're in control. God is in control even when your life is out of control. And God is always in control even when you're trying to maintain control. Our God is sovereign and he is worthy of our praise. So hear me out, hear me out. If Jesus is truly the sovereign king of the universe, what are some of the major implications for us in order for us to live our lives as if Jesus is our resurrected king? What are some of the major implications? How does this affect us? How does this affect me? I love what David Platt says about this in his commentary, Christ-centered exposition, exalted Jesus and Matthew. He says these words. He says, Matthew's point in writing this book was not to show us that Jesus is king. Instead, Matthew ends by telling us how Jesus sent out his disciples to proclaim Jesus as king to the ends of the earth. And that's a story that that continues even today. The beauty of this text is that you and I are part of this story. We are disciples of Jesus, the king, commissioned and sent out by him to proclaim his life, death and resurrection all over the planet. So let me ask you again. Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? There's three implications for us to follow today, and I'll give them to you really quick for us to to live our life as if Jesus is our resurrected king. Number one, we need to acknowledge that he is Lord of all. Number two, we need to surrender that he is the Lord over us. And then lastly, we need to declare that he is the Lord over every circumstance. Let me repeat that for those who maybe are taking notes. We need to acknowledge that he is the Lord of all. Verse 18b, we need to surrender that he is the Lord over us. Verse 19, and then we need to declare that he is the Lord over every circumstance. Verse 20, let's examine the first implication of God's, of Jesus' sovereign authority. The first implication we see is in verse 18b. We need to acknowledge that he is the Lord of all. Notice with me that Jesus' authority is not limited simply to him being our Lord and Savior. Let me say that again. Jesus' authority is not simply limited to him being our personal Lord and Savior. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 about this. He says, For this reason God exalted it, highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what this means for us? It means two things. It means that either you will willfully and joyfully bow the knee to Jesus today. (laughs) You have a joyful opportunity to join in the wonder and the beauty of God as being our sovereign king by, by intentionally surrendering yourself to his authority. If you will not surrender to that authority, there will be a day when Jesus will appear and every Hindu and every Buddhist and every other religion of this name will be forced down by the cosmic power of God to bow down to King Jesus and admit what we should have always known from the very beginning, that he is king of kings and that he is Lord of lords. Jesus will be worshipped 
because he is worthy of our worship. There is no other name given amongst men that we shall be saved except the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you living, church? Listen to me. Are you living your life in light of these truths? Are you allowing this not to just be head knowledge, but to be medicine for your heart that causes you to joyfully surrender, to prayerfully submit, to humbly bow at the throne of Jesus? You got an opportunity to do it now, (laughs) but one day you won't have that opportunity because every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Republican or Democrat, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Every knee will bow to the glory of God's son, Jesus. Look with me at first verse 18b. We see the authority of, of Christ mentioned here. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Notice, notice, notice with me that Jesus doesn't start with a command. He he doesn't start with a command. Jesus starts with a claim. All authority has been given to me. Notice with me that not only does he start with the claim, but notice that he starts with a claim that accurately reflects his character. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Notice with me that first word, all. (laughs) All authority, not some authority, not partial authority, not limited authority, not borrowed authority, not presumed authority, not unmerited authority, not even assumed authority, Jesus has the audacity to say that all authority has been given to me. And listen, when Jesus says something, you need to believe it. (laughs) It reminds me of a great passage of scripture in the gospel of John, where John writes these words. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Paul goes further to to help us to understand what it means for Jesus to have all authority in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, when he pens these words, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and in earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. See, Jesus has all authority, (laughs) not some authority, not partial authority, not limited authority, not even borrowed authority. He has all authority. So let me ask you this again, because I need you to hear me. Are you living your life? Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king. 
The reason why I'm asking this question over and over again is because only you can answer that question. (laughs) Not your mom, not your dad, not your husband, not your wife, not your boss, not even me as your pastor. Only you can answer that question. Let's examine the second implication of of Jesus' sovereign authority. Look with me in verses 19 through 20. Look with me just right now for at verse 19a. He says, go therefore. (laughs) Notice Jesus' authority demands a response. It reminds me of a theme that we've been talking about at our church all year long. You might remember this theme. We haven't said it in a while, but it's always true that we work because what? God is at work, right? We work because God is at work. We don't work to justify God's work. Our work is simply in response to the work that God is already doing. So Jesus looks at his disciples, his Disciples who have betrayed him, his disciples who have disappointed him, his disciples who have deserted him. And he says these words, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore. I love the therefore because the therefore points back to the main point that Jesus has all authority. You don't go if you don't believe that statement. You don't remain faithful if you don't believe that statement. Our faithfulness to God, it's not just about us being faithful to God. It's us being faithful to the character, the nature and provision of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you have a problem with being unfaithful? Do you have a problem of being inconsistent? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to him and allow him to embrace you and come near to you in your brokenness. Allow him to come near to you in your faltering. Allow him to come near to you in your failures. You see, sometimes we church folks, we like to put on a face. We like to act like we are all okay when we're really not. And it's okay to go to God with that brokenness because God, because God has given him all authority. <laughs> and because he's given him all authority, there's no remedy. There's no vex. There's no There's no uh, sin that we can't bring to God that he does not have authority over and has a place that authority in his divine son, Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Not in you getting it right, not in you figuring it out, not in you having the best answers or the best grades, best resumes. Go, therefore, he says in verse 19. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that since I have all authority, you must go in response to that authority. So what does it look like for us to go in response to to Jesus' authority? All right. If you're looking at me right now, you say, "Okay, pastor, I'm, I'm bought in. You've convinced me. Jesus has all the authority. You convinced me that I should go. What does that look like? Well, let me tell you, before I tell you what it looks like, let me tell you what it shouldn't look like. It shouldn't look like this. I need the kids. Can the kids see the screen? I don't know if this is going to come up or not. Kids, somebody, you know, somebody tell me what that is. Anybody know what that is? Beyblades. Beyblades. Yeah, who said that? Yeah, Beyblades. 
Beyblades are a cool thing that I've just got introduced to. If you have a son or a nephew, I'm sure you may have been introduced them to as well. And the thing about Beyblades is it's really a top. And if you're old enough to understand what a top is, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's really a top that has jagged edges on the outside of it where you put two tops in the ring and you let them hit each other until they stop spinning. And it's, it's, it's all about this rhythmic thing of you getting this, this Beyblade, and if they have different blade blades, some are like powerful and some have endurance, and then some have like defense where they last longer. But listen to me, as we go out in Jesus' authority, we don't go out practicing Beyblades. You see, Beyblades are just you and your partner coming to a, a, a rink. You say, uh, what is it? How do you say, it, Elliot? One, two, three, let it rip. Is that right? One, two, three, let it rip. And you rip it, and then the two things just kind of spin around, and they hit each other, and you kind of just see what happens. You see, God's authority isn't just about us leaving things out for chance. We're not talking about a deistic God, a God who created the world and then left his creation on his own to figure it out. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a God who just tries to figure it out and just let chance let hope kind of figure out the outcome. We don't serve that type of guy. It also doesn't look like this. I may step on some toes with this, but that's okay. I step on some, oh, y'all laughing. I stepped on some toes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doesn't look like Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here. I love Baby Yoda. He's my, he's my favorite. Mandalorian. What? Oh, yeah. His, I, don't know, I don't know his real name, but yes, I forgot his real name. I did hear it in the movie. But listen, it doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like what, what, what we call uh, religion of uh, dualism. God's authority isn't just God's power versus Satan's power, and these two things collide, and we'll see which one will win. Nine times out of ten, good normally wins, but without evil giving its best shot, right? It's not dualism. We're not talking about two sides that are equally compatible, the dark side and the force coming together, waging war. Let's see who wins. It's not that. It's not that. It's also not this. Anybody know what this is from? Moana. Yes. How many have seen Moana? I was asking the kids. Y'all adults put your hands down. I'm talking to the kids here. Thank you. I see what y'all been doing in the pandemic, watching that Netflix. I understand. I get you. I got it. You know what, Moana? It's a great movie if you haven't watched it. It's a great movie, but it's also an underlining philosophy that's underneath this movie of pantheism. And pantheism says that God is everywhere, especially in nature, that he's everywhere and he's everything. And you can look at God and see him in the trees, or you can see him in the earth, or you can see him in, the earth, in, in how the earth operates. But listen, God is so much greater than his creation. <laughs> The creator can't be subjected to or lesser than what he creates. See, this is not what it looks like. Let me, let me show you what it looks like. Is there a picture? Maybe that's not a picture. That's okay. If it's not a picture, I'll figure it out. It doesn't look like being forced, manipulated, coerced, or persuaded to follow him. So what does it look like? It looks like 
And I had an image of it, but I, maybe it won't come up, and that's okay. It looks like the candy challenge. Anybody heard about the candy challenge? Oh, I, I hit, I, I, yes, I got some amens. I like that. The candy challenge is simply a challenge where parents tempt their kids for fun. <laughs> they put candy in front of kids, and they put a video camera without them knowing, and they say, Honey, I'm going to go to the bathroom for like five minutes, and there's a bowl full of candy in front of you. Don't touch it. (laughs) Don't respond to it. Don't eat it until I come back. And then they leave, and then you kind of see, um, obviously, you can probably imagine the hysterical moments that you get from having a camera in front of a kid with a bowl full of candy that you tell them not to eat, and no parent is there to tell them not to eat it. You can only imagine. I'll let your imagination kind of fill in the blanks there. You see, when kids are put in front of candy, kids can't help themselves. Man, to be honest, some adults, we can't help ourselves, amen? The candy is worth it, right? It's worth any punishment you go through, any displeasure, or any disappointment. That candy is worth it. (laughs) And it's worth anything, that any punishment, any displeasure that their parents could possibly receive, that the kids could possibly receive from their parents. And what Jesus is saying here is just as that kid cannot compel himself from going after that candy, so too we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should not be able to withheld ourselves, withhold ourselves from pursuing the calls and purposes of God to, make, to go and make disciples. Should be a, a, a rising up. Jesus told the woman at the well that I will put springs of living water in you that will rise up. He told her, don't drink from this well that can run dry, this well that is only temporary. He says, I'll put, I'll put wells of water in you that through the Holy Spirit that will well up in you. And you'll never be thirsty again. Notice with me that Jesus' authority compels us to go, not to be stagnant. Not to be complacent, not to be okay with the status quo. We are to go and not just proclaim the resurrected king. We're to make manifest, even in a broken world, that Jesus is resurrected through us making this world right. Not because we can make it right, but we can point them in the right direction so that when Jesus comes here, he will fulfill all of our purposes all of his purposes through the work that we prepare beforehand. Do you, do you, did you hear what I said? Jesus, listen, we, we, we live in such a world of wanting so many different things. We want justice and we want peace and we want equality. We want all of these things. As Christians, we are to be the light and salt of the earth, so much so that although we won't make things completely right, we can point things in the right direction and towards the right God. So then when our God comes with all authority, he will be able to take the little we've done and make more of it. We, get, we have the, 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 the dignity and we have the privilege of putting our hands to the plow and starting the work and, and then looking to Jesus to come finish the work. What a great privilege. What a great honor. What a great privilege that he would call us, men and women who constantly disappoint him, who fail him, who who are constantly discouraged, 
He would call us to be a part of his cosmic renewal of the earth. So, so that means that every suffering, every trial, everything that you face, face has a purpose. It's not God just being mean or having a bad day. It's not God forgetting about you. It's a part of the cosmic renewal that God is calling us all to, to put our hands to the plow and to go therefore, as he says in verse 19. So what is going Jesus' authority look like? It looks like two things. It looks like this. Number one, as we go, we have to realize, have, we have to understand two important realities. Number one, that his worth is the fuel for our mission. His worth is the fuel for our mission. What do you mean by that, Pastor Fields? Well, listen to what I'm saying. We go because Jesus is worthy of the worship of every person on the planet. Every single person deserves and has the opportunity to worship Jesus. And if they're not worshiping Jesus, then they're worshiping an idol. Because God has only given him all authority in both heaven and also on earth. Number two, the other reality is not just his worth is a fuel for our mission. Number two, his worship is the goal of our mission. His worship. Why do we go into our neighborhood and knock on doors? Why are we having a VBS this summer? Why are we looking to have a, a Juneteenth cookout on June 19th? Why are we looking to, to have all these things and these programs? We, we do them because his worship is the goal of our mission. Why do we sing songs in other languages that most of us can't speak or even understand? Why do we talk about issues of justice and multi-ethnicity? Why do we talk about the sovereignty of God and his goodness? Simply because his worship is the goal of our mission. I'm going to date myself here, but that's okay. Lecrae, oh man, maybe 10, 15 years ago in one of his songs, he used to always say that, uh, you know, uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. And I'm dating myself. It's okay. But, but I mean, I, I, that always sticks with me, that missions exist because worship doesn't, right? That the reason why we go on mission to proclaim, to teach, and to show Jesus is not just to have something to do. It's not like our, our Mormon brethren. We don't have to go on mission in order to qualify ourselves to be deemed acceptable for our religion. We go because God is worthy of worship. We go because Jesus is the only one who's been endowed by God to have all power and authority. We go because scholars at Princeton Harvard and every other high academic institution in this country still are befuddled at the fact that they don't believe in Jesus, but they don't understand how every single Sunday you gather to worship. We go because Jesus is our resurrected king. Notice with me that it's not enough to be motivated to go. In verses 19 through 20, Jesus provides our method in which we should go. 
Notice what he, what he says in verses 19 through 20. This is how we should go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Notice with me, to be a disciple is to make disciples. <laughs> it's not just about being a disciple. To be a disciple is to make disciples. So how do we do that successfully? Let me give you four quick ways to hopefully encourage you. Number one, we share the word. We share the gospel as we live according to the gospel. Please hear me when I say that. We share the gospel as we live according to the gospel. I'm a firm believer that we're not just called to preach the gospel. We're called to preach and to live the gospel. There are plenty of people on this earth, and I've seen them, even at Princeton University where I spent the last my seven years, that they will come to the gates of that university, and they will preach hell and brimstone to every single student that's walking by. And although, although they're giving a lot of truth, there's very little grace. There's very little interaction. They're giving all truth without relationship. We as a church will not be that. We will not be that because the gospel doesn't call us to give all truth without grace. On the other end, the gospel doesn't tell us to go out and say, everybody, you're forgiven a sin. Just come into the church and everything will be okay. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to learn anything. You don't need to obey anything. Come in and everything will be okay. We'll figure it out as we go. We're not doing that either. What we have in this church is a balance between the, 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 as we were talking this morning with a lovely couple about the justice of God, but also the grace of God. <laughs> this thing has to be balanced, y'all. It can't be one-sided. And usually when we get one-sided, people get offended, people get hurt, and the gospel is not proclaimed. Your gospel may be proclaimed, but the gospel is not being proclaimed. And at this church, we will be those who stand on the truth of the gospel, not your gospel, not my gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So number one, we share the word. Number two, we show the word through baptism. Number three, we teach the word. And number four, we serve the world. So number one, we share the word. Again, we, we want to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in word and also in deed. Number two, we show the word. We show the word through baptism. Every believer is called to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a command of the Lord Jesus. If you have not been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please come talk to me. We, we, we should talk. Because there are a lot of believers who say that they are a part of the church, but they have never been baptized in immersion. They've never been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even as I studied this text afresh this week, my convictions have grown in this, that this is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that baptism symbolizes identification with the person of Christ, but it also identifies us with the inclusion of the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ and have not been baptized, hear me. 
You're living in direct disobedience to Christ. Because Jesus calls those who have accepted him to be baptized by immersion and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you have questions about baptism, wanting to know what it is, why it's important, I get good news for you. Today, immediately after church, we have a baptism class. Shameless plug there. I know, I know, I know. Immediately after church, if you have questions about baptism, if you want to hear about what it means to be baptized, we have a class for you today. Immediately after church, we would love for you to be a part of that. Number three, we not only share the word, we not only show the word, but we teach the word. Teaching them, in verse 19, Jesus says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Every disciple of Jesus should saturate their words with God's word. Tonight at 7.30, my wife and I are going to be starting an eight-week series on the book of James. It's a virtual study. Everyone is invited. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you want to figure out or talk about what does that look like to be a part of that, come talk to me. I would love to share those things. Or actually talk to Ruth. Ruth right here in the front. If you have questions, talk to Ruth. She can help you get signed up to be a part of that. Virtual study, the book of James. Totally free. Say it with me. Free. It reminds me of that commercial you know what I'm talking about? Free, free. The guy is doing exercise. You don't, you don't know. Okay, I, I watch too much TV. I'm sorry. I, I just thought about that commercial. Lord, help me. Lastly, we are here to serve the world. Notice that his emphasis is to make disciples of all nations. This is not a general command to make disciples among as many people as possible, but rather it's a specific command to make disciples among every people group in the world. And one of the most beautiful and unique things about this church is that we have the people groups of the world surrounding and living within less than three or four blocks from us. The nations are here, y'all. They're here. The nations that Jesus wants to gather, they're living amongst us. Right here. We can walk to their doorstep Immediately at this church. So let me ask you once again. Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? Let's examine the third implication of God, of Jesus' sovereign authority. Look at me at verse 20. He says these words, and remember that I'm with you always to the end of the age. Notice Matthew closes his gospel the same way that he started it. The final words of Matthew's gospel serve as bookends as they remind us of Matthew's description of Jesus in the first chapter. Remember how Matthew described Jesus in chapter 1, verse 23? He says these words, The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And isn't it amazing that Matthew bookends his wonderful gospel to us with the encouragement to know that at the very beginning, God is with us through his son. And then at the very end, Jesus reminds us of that very fact in verse 20. He says, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a good reminder for us that Jesus' nearness should give us confidence as we go. That Jesus is near you. I see a couple of missionary families that are among us, and I want to encourage you with these words, even as you are away from your assignment, that Jesus is is near you, that he sees you, that he loves you. And I pray 
that his nearness will give you confidence as you go back to the mission field. So what does Jesus' nearness mean for us as we evangelize two things and then we'll close? Number one, his mission or this mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. This mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. It's based upon who he is and the authority that he has. It coincides very well with a theme that we talk about a lot around here. Identity perceives function, right? Who we are is not more important than what we do. Excuse me, who we are is more important than what we do for God. Number two, this mission is based on Jesus and what he's able to do in and through our lives. Beloved, listen to me. The Great Commission will not be easy. It will be very costly, but yet it's worth it. It's worth it. There's no cost, painful experience, or disappointment that will be infinitively greater than any cost we have paid this side of heaven. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I end with the question that I began with. Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? Would you pray with me? Father God, we do love you and thank you. We praise you that you are an all-sufficient God and king. We look to you in humble admiration that you have all authority, not some authority, not borrowed authority, not partial authority, not even unmerited authority. You have all authority and only you are worthy of our praise. Forgive us for allowing our praise to go to anything or anyone other than you. We ask Jesus that you would draw near to us. Thank you that you draw near to the brokenhearted. Thank you that you draw near to those who have disappointed you and who have even deserted you, betrayed you. God, teach us to do do the same. Give us hearts of compassion for this neighborhood. Give us hearts of compassion for one another. Give us hearts of compassion for the least of these. Show us what it means to not just preach the gospel, but to live it. Help us this day, Father, as your people, to live our lives as if you are truly the resurrected King. We thank you and praise you. Forgive us for our shortcomings, for our sins. There are many. That's that your love will cover the multitude of our sins in every way. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you as Lord and as Savior, who has not willfully, joyfully surrendered their heart to you, Father, I pray that today would be that day. I pray that they would pray to you in faith, understanding that you are the Son of God who's been given for the forgiveness of the sins through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. May they find their hope in your resurrection today and even now. May they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that, God, you allowed your son to die and to be raised from the dead for the forgiveness of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I invite those who have been baptized and those who are a part um, of a local church to join us in a meal of communion.
Communion is just not a simple taking of eating of bread. It speaks to the reality of Jesus being our perfect and all-sufficient sacrifice, our glorious King. It speaks to his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his burial, and his glorious resurrection on the third day. By partaking of this meal proclaims more than taking bread and wine. First Corinthians tells us it proclaims Christ's death until he returns. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let us eat and take and eat that bread together in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus continued to say that he will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when he drinks it anew with us in his father's kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.